Jesus is Lord, that means he is in control of everything. So let me ask you this, what feels out of control in your life today? What feels out of control in your world today? Jesus is in control. So would you bow your heads in prayer and ask that the power of Jesus would be clear to your heart and mind today. Fathers, we gather in this place celebrating the power of Jesus, declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you help us truly grasp what that really means? Father, that they would not be mere words that we sing, but truths that we believe truths that would empower the way that we live, that Jesus Christ is Lord over heaven and earth, over life and death, over sickness and the grave. And God, I pray that our hearts would be filled with joy today as we believe and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. And Father, we know we're not the only church in town. And so we pray for the churches of Jesus gathered in this community. Father, that you would fill the people of God with the power of your spirit to go as witnesses in this world to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So Lord, may your people gathered all throughout Brevard County encounter so that they would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus, the gospel that Jesus is Lord over life and death. Be glorified among us today. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. So if you have a a digital copy of God's Word, you can click over there to the English Standard Version and read word uh, for word with me. So John chapter 20. This week, I heard a story about a little boy who wanted to help his mom clean up after dinner because he thought if she got her job done early, he would have time to play a game with her before bedtime. So he went up to mom and said, how can I help you clean the house, mom? Which, by the way, kids, if you want to cause your parents to have a cardiac event, ask them how you can help them clean up after dinner. But anyhow, he asks her and she's touched by the gesture. So she wants to give him a job he can do, but also one that's not too hard for him. So she says, well, you go out on the front porch and get the broom that I left out there earlier this afternoon. I can't finish cleaning the kitchen until I sweep up the floor. And so the boy, eager to help, runs to the front door. He opens it, and he's met with a startling reality, a major issue. It's dark outside, and he's deathly afraid of the dark. So he closes the door. He quickly goes back to the kitchen. Mom sees that her son's upset and broomless. And so she says, son, what happened? It was a pretty easy task. And he says, mom, I really do want to help, but it's dark outside and I'm afraid to go out in the dark. And so mom kneels down there in the kitchen and says, son, you don't need to be afraid to go on the front porch. You don't need to be afraid to go out in the dark. You don't need to be afraid at all. Jesus is out on our front porch and he's ready to help you with everything you fear. And the the son was kind of confused. So he said, mom, really? Like, you really believe that Jesus is out on our front porch? Said, yes, son, Jesus is everywhere, including our front porch. He says, mom, do you really believe Jesus is going to help me? Get that broom? 
And she said, son, if you'll ask Jesus, he'll help you with everything you fear. I know he will. And so the little boy goes to the front door. He didn't feel brave. He still didn't want to go out in the dark. But he thought to himself, mom said, Jesus is out there and he's ready to help me. So he slowly opens his front door. He cautiously reaches out into the darkness and says, Jesus, if you're really there, do you mind handing me the broom? Right? Okay, so... The reason I tell that story is twofold. First, we all can identify with paralyzing fear. All of us live with fear. We live through fear, fear of sickness. We're afraid of war. We're afraid of conflict. We're afraid of the price of groceries. That's not even a joke. We're afraid. All of us can identify with a place of fear that can paralyze us. In life. The second reason I tell that story is because many of us struggle to understand how the risen Jesus helps us, enables us to live without fear. I would, I would guess that most people who've come here this morning, those of us even who are joining us online, would understand that this morning is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But I would not be surprised if a large number of people who gather on Easter Sunday morning, struggle to understand how the resurrection of Jesus, how the risen Lord enables us to live a life that's free from fear. And that's what I want you to see this morning in our text. I want you to see what the living resurrected King, Jesus Christ, says to people who are paralyzed in fear. Look at John chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 23. Verse 19 says this, on the evening of that day, that day is Sunday, it's the day of resurrection. It's a lot of things that have happened before we read this text. Namely, John and Peter went to the grave and saw that it was empty. We see that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the grave and Mary Magdalene encountered the risen Jesus. We read about that earlier in the service. And so the evening of that day is the evening of Resurrection Sunday after all those events had taken place. The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of God for us this Easter Sunday morning. And the first thing I want you to see is something that's somewhat straightforward and obvious. It's that faith is paralyzed by fear in this scene. Look at verse 19 again. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. You see really clearly, these are people who are afraid. They're living in the same city with the same people who had just killed Jesus a couple days ago. And they're thinking, if they could kill Jesus, of all people, if they could kill Jesus, then what's to keep them from killing us as his followers? And so they're afraid that what happened to Jesus will happen to them. And they're not nearly as strong as Jesus. So they don't have the defense 
that they would imagine Jesus would have. So they're afraid for their lives. But the reason why I say that faith has been paralyzed by fear is because in this text, what you find is that they aren't just afraid. They are afraid in a way that actually is keeping them from believing certain truths that ironically would keep them from being afraid. And if you can follow that, good on you. Here's what I'm saying is that Jesus has told them ahead of time certain truths, certain things that would happen. And if they would simply believe what Jesus said, if they simply believed the simple truths of Jesus, their hearts would have been guarded by fear because they would have had faith in the promise of Jesus. But they've reversed it. Fear has now overcome their hearts and their faith is paralyzed by fear. Look at Matthew chapter 20, chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. This is the week before Jesus is killed, just days ago. I want you to listen to what he tells them in Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. Verse 17, Jesus says, as he was going up to Jerusalem, so he's walking into the city, he took the 12 disciples aside on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, now now listen to what he's saying here. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. See that? That's a week before all of those events take place. Do you ever wonder what's going on in the mind of the disciples? Jesus literally told them. He specifically said what would happen. And you could take that phrase there, uh, the phrases there in verses 18 through 19, and almost use them as a checklist. One after one after one after the other, the things Jesus said were going to happen start to take place. And so you would think that the disciples, after all that Jesus said was going to occur, would be sitting there, Wondering how that last thing is going to emerge, but they don't. Even though Jesus has told them what's going to happen and they see it taking place, they fail to see this. They fail to see that Jesus ahead of time said, it is my plan to go into Jerusalem. It is my plan to be handed over to the Jews. It is my plan that they will kill me and I will be crucified. And if the disciples had just believed the plain word from Jesus... They would have seen that it was the plan of God, that God was in control, not the Jews, that Jesus was in control, not the Gentiles, that this is the plan of God being fulfilled, and their heart would have been guarded from fear. But fear has paralyzed their faith. Even more than that, in John chapter 20, in our text, you find that earlier in the day, eyewitnesses have gone to the tomb of Jesus and Mary encounters Christ. We also read about that. And when Mary hears the voice of Jesus saying her name, she knows that it's him. And it says she goes back to the disciples and tells them what she saw. They have an eyewitness account that Jesus is alive and well, but their hearts are so paralyzed by fear that they struggle to believe in faith what Jesus said. And so here they are stuck. Stuck in fear, literally stuck in a room. You see, uh, uh, John points out that they've locked the door. Uh, You guys wonder what that was supposed to do? 
Like really, if the Roman soldiers who came to get them like they came to get Jesus had actually come to their door, what did they think was going to happen? Like the Roman centurion is going to just going to jiggle the handle. Hey guys, they've got the deadbolt locked. Our weapons are useless against deadbolts. I mean, what were they going to do? They are depending on useless defenses because their heart's so paralyzed in fear that they're willing to trust a deadbolt more than they'll trust a risen Savior named Jesus. It's how paralyzing fear can be. And I've got to tell you, it's easy for me to come up with a lot of ways to criticize these disciples as I was studying this passage this week. But as I looked more and more into this passage, I've got to tell you, I saw more and more myself in the room with these fearful men. Myself being afraid, afraid that I won't be prepared to lead my family in the middle of a world that's falling apart. Afraid that I won't know how to navigate the next season with my own children as they face a world that feels so different than the one that I grew up in. Having conversations that I never had at their age. Afraid. Afraid that I won't be able to tell other people about Jesus as a world grows more hostile to the gospel. Afraid that I won't know how to lead our church family through an increasingly hostile culture. Afraid that if persecution is coming, and I believe persecution is coming to the American church, that I won't know what to do or I might not stand in a time of trouble. I find fear in my heart over and over and over again. Every fear I have is something like the disciples' fear. And perhaps you can identify with me. I don't know what your fear is today, but I'm sure you brought one into the room. You may fear that your sickness or the sickness of someone you love is going to end in death. You may fear that your prodigal child is never going to come home. You may fear that your marriage is never going to be healed Or lived up to what you hoped it would be. You may fear that your future might not be as good as your past. Or maybe your past has been dark and painful. And you fear you'll never move beyond that fear or that pain. Whatever your fear is, you may find yourself just like these men. Stuck. Stuck in a room that feels more like prison. Paralyzed. Unable to move forward into the life God has for you. And able to go back in time and change anything. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what Jesus does for people like the disciples, for people like me, people like you who feel stuck, paralyzed by their fear in a place like this. What does Jesus do? Well, here's what Jesus does. Jesus comes to fearful people. Look at verse 19. It says, Jesus came and stood among them. I love this picture of Jesus. While they're huddled in the room, afraid to step outside, Jesus comes to them. He knows where they are, and he doesn't stand in the street and yell out to them, hey guys, why are you acting like a bunch of wimps? What are you afraid of? Why don't you get your act together and come on down and get on with it with me? He doesn't do that. He doesn't even come into the room and peek his head into the door and say, Hey, when you finally get the nerve up to stop acting like fools, I'll be outside waiting for you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't distance himself. He doesn't ostracize. He takes his risen power and he uses it to come to his people. He blows by the deadbolt. No door, no wall is going to stop Jesus. And he uses his power to penetrate 
those useless defenses of people in fear. And I've got to tell you, as I prayed this week, that vision was in my prayer for you today. However you've come in, whatever walls you may have up, whatever defenses you may have in your life, whatever ways you're choosing to cope with the things in your life that feel out of your control but very much fearful in your heart, my prayer is that you will experience that Jesus would use his power to come to you today, that you would sense his presence and that he would be near you in a way that only Jesus can be near you. Jesus comes to his people. He wants his people to experience his presence. And I want you to notice what he does next. Look at verses 19 and 20. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. So notice the details. They're really, really important. Don't miss what John's recording here. Two separate times, Jesus says, have peace. Peace be with you. And then right in the middle of those two declarations, I want you to have peace, Jesus does something. He shows them his hands and he shows them his side. He shows them the marks of the crucifixion. Do you realize what he's doing here? Jesus doesn't say, hey, have peace. Don't worry. Don't worry. You're never going to have to walk through the things you're afraid of. This is an irrational fear. Don't worry about it. He doesn't say, hey, don't worry. These Jewish leaders won't ever get to you. You've got a deadbolt. You'll be fine. He doesn't say that, does he? He does an interesting thing. He tells them by showing them that he's already gone to the Jews He's already been killed by the Jews. He lets them see up and close and personal that he's experienced the thing they most fear. Doesn't that seem somewhat like an uncomfortable situation? I know you're afraid that the Jews will kill you. So let me show you something. They killed me. How does that help them have peace? Well, here's what he's doing. He says, not only have I already experienced what you most fear, he shows them, I've already gone where you most fear to go. And here I am, alive and well and victorious. Here's what Jesus is saying. Peace be with you, because I've already gone where you most fear to go. And I'm alive and well and victorious on the other side. Your worst fear isn't stronger than me. And it can't keep me from you or you from me. And church, that's our big idea this morning. Jesus has already gone where we most fear to go. And he will be with us until we reach the other side. Hear that, my friend. Jesus has already gone ahead of you. He's already traveled the road you're walking down. Whatever you most fear today, whatever it is, whatever the place you most dread to go, that is a place where Jesus has already been and he will be with you in his presence, by his peace and his 
power. Jesus has already gone, so you don't have to live in fear. No matter what's going on in your world, no matter what's taking place in your home, no matter what is happening in your own heart, Jesus has walked the road ahead of you. He has suffered. He's been rejected. His body has been crushed. His life has been broken, and yet here he is on Easter, alive and well in victory on the other side, and he wants you and me to experience his presence, his peace, and his power. It's exactly what he says in this text. And in the time we have left, I just want to show you those two particular things that Jesus comes and gives his people in the midst of their fear. First, the risen Jesus gives us his peace. That's exactly what he said twice in this passage. Peace be with you. And the kind of peace that Jesus is ultimately talking about is the peace that he secured at the cross. That's why he shows them his hands and his side. He says, Listen, you don't need to be afraid of what you most fear. I've already gone to the cross on your behalf because whether you realize it or not, our deepest fear as people is a fear of death. And the reason why we fear dying is because inherently we know. That when we die, we will have to stand before God and face the eternal consequence of our sin. You see, the Bible has said that all of us have sinned. And our sin is like a declaration of war against God. We have made ourselves enemies of God by our sin. But Jesus came to live the life we failed to live, a perfect sinless life. And he went to the cross to take the punishment for our sin so that we could be forgiven, we could be accepted by God, having peace with God forever. Friend, you don't have to live in fear You don't have to be afraid of death because Jesus has transformed death. The Bible says this, if we will trust in Jesus by faith in his work on the cross, our death will not lead to an eternity in hell. It will lead to eternity in heaven. Death then is an entryway into eternal life with God for all who trust in Jesus. And here's what that means. There is no threat this world can hold for people who aren't afraid to die. Do you realize that? This world cannot threaten you if you are not afraid to die. The worst this world can do if persecution comes, if sickness knocks on your door, if disease is part of your story, the worst those things in this world can do is bring about your death. And your death in Christ will lead you into the presence of joy and pleasure forevermore in the presence of God. There is no threat this world can hold for people who aren't afraid to die. And so the risen Jesus offers us his peace. You can live with peace because you can die without fear. It's a gift that we accept through faith in Jesus or we reject in unbelief. And let me ask you this morning, are you trusting in the gift of life through Jesus Christ? Do you know that if you were to die today, That you would stand before God forgiven and accepted, not by your work, but by Christ's. He offers peace to those who trust. 
that those nail prints in his hands and that wound in his side are marks of his work for us at the cross. Are you trusting in Jesus because the risen Jesus gives his people his peace? The second thing we see is not only that he gives us his peace, but the risen Jesus gives us his power. Look what it says here in verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, stop right there. As you follow the story of Jesus from this point forward, what you find is that a couple chapters later in the book of Acts chapter 2, Jesus fulfills this promise. He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of these disciples. And what happens next is amazing to say the least. These same men who are locked into a room, paralyzed by fear, emerge in the streets of Jerusalem, bold and strong and unashamed and unafraid. They walk in the power of God because the Holy Spirit of God allows the life of Jesus to be lived in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power of God himself flows in and through these people. So when Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit, I take him to be acting out, in a sense, physically, what he's preparing to do for them spiritually, that he'll re- they'll receive the Spirit as he sends the Spirit just a number of days later. But he gives that truth to all his people, that if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. We've been studying that as a church in Galatians, that when we live by faith, Christ lives in us By his spirit. And so let me just ask you this. Since that's a promise that Jesus gives to all who trust in him. Let me ask you this. How would you face what you most fear. If you believed you were able to face it. With the very power of God in you. Think of that thing you fear. Think of that situation that feels out of your control. Think of those parts of your future that you are terrified may come to pass. And so you dread each day or you dread your future. How would you face those things if you truly believed you faced them with the very power of God in you? Well, let me give you an illustration. You want an illustration? That's another word for a story. Well, here it comes, ready or not. When I was in fifth grade, I sat next to a guy named Jack. Jack, if you're listening online, I love you, brother, and I forgive you for the story that I'm getting ready to tell. But Jack sat next to me, and Jack was a bad dude. Jack was big and strong and scary. He, he wore these really old, hard rock and roll band t-shirts that had pictures on them I'd never seen in Sunday school in all my years. I didn't know what they meant, but I didn't think it was good. And Jack, in fifth grade, Jack, this menacing character who sat next to me, Jack ate black crayons. Not in kindergarten, In fifth grade, mind you. Now, why would a fifth grader eat black crayons? Well, there were theories going around the fifth grade, rumors about why he did such a thing. Some people thought since his teeth were normally a light shade of green, he was covering them over with the black crayons. I thought it was because he wanted his teeth to look as menacing as the rest of him. So 
Get them black, baby. So he's sitting next to me in fifth grade in Mrs. Litt's homeroom class and staring at me with black teeth, looking at me with those rock and roll t-shirts. And I'm not like Jack, okay? I'm not big and strong and menacing. I struggled to get the cap off of my thermos every day at lunch, all right? Just not getting there, all right? There were bigger knots in my shoes than on my biceps. I was not a strong kid at all, okay? And I wasn't allowed to listen to hard rock music. As a matter of fact, I wasn't allowed to listen to Christian rock. In my home, my dad was a pastor, and we thought that Christian rock was like Christian whiskey. There's no such thing. And so we didn't listen to any of that stuff. So there I am, a world away from Mr. Jack, and then in no uncertain terms, one day Jack lets me know he's going to beat me up. And he doesn't do me the grace of just pummeling me right there. He lets me know it's coming next week. So now i got to live all weekend long, right? Locked with the disciples, deadbolt in my bedroom. Fear over me. Unspoken prayer request after unspoken prayer requests in Sunday school. First time in my entire childhood, I prayed that Jesus would come back before I was able to drive. Lord, if you'll just come back, I'll straighten my life out right now. So there I am, afraid to move into the next week. Well, imagine, just imagine that there in that prison of my own fear, the strongest fighter in the entire world at the time comes and visits me. The strongest fighter at the time was a guy named Iron Mike Tyson. You guys remember Iron Mike? Since I spent plenty of time on a Nintendo as a child, I was very familiar with imagining I was strong like Iron Mike. And imagine that Mike Tyson had come to me over the weekend and said, Titus? I'm sorry, that was my, that was, that's my, that's my best iron mic there. Sorry. Well, there's your Easter Sunday, guys. It's all next year. Don't do impressions. All right. So just made a mental note. He comes and says, Titus, I've come up with a way. You don't need to understand it, but I've come up with a way that I can live my life through you. Like you can have my very power, all my ability, all my power. You can have that. So when you go to school tomorrow, Titus, here's what you need to know. I'm going with you. Now, the other kids won't see it, but I'll be right there. And and Titus, when Jack comes to fight you, (laughs) he'll be fighting me. He'll never see what hit him. And I know what you're thinking. You have way too much time on your hand during the week to imagine these scenarios. How would I have walked into Medellin Elementary School in Sandusky, Ohio, if that would have been the reality and I would have believed it? You think I'd have walked in that elementary school cowering in fear, afraid that Jack's going to be around the next corner? You think that's how I was going to live? Man, I'd have walked in. Come on, bro. Hey, Jack, come on out. It's the OK Corral. Titus is here, as I called myself. T-Bones arrived. No, I'm just... <laughs> and I know that's silly, but let me ask you this. Do you realize that what Jesus is promising here is infinitely more powerful than the scenario I imagined? He's saying that his spirit, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to be in you, in you. Today, as you trust in him. He's saying, as you walk out of this place, you won't walk alone. 
As you walk headlong into the spot you most fear to go, you won't be there by yourself. Jesus is going with you. He says, you will actually have the very power that raised me from the dead, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God living in you. When you unlock that door of fear and you walk out into your world, when you go out of this place, I will be with you. I will be living in the power of the Spirit in you. And when your fears come to you, you won't be fighting them. They'll be fighting me, Jesus says. And do your fears have the power to beat up Jesus? Then why do we live in a prison of fear if the person of Christ lives in us? The risen Jesus gives him his power. And I do want you to notice, because this is really important, and you don't hear this much in 21st century Christianity. He doesn't say they won't have to face what they most fear. Do you realize that? He says what they fear most will have to face him in them. Guys, these men will go before these Jewish leaders they're afraid of. They'll be persecuted. They will suffer. They will be punished and most of them will be killed. They will have to walk through what they most fear. It wasn't an irrational fear. It was simply irrational to be afraid when Jesus was walking with them. As a matter of fact, Christ is so alive in them that he will do the work in them by his Holy Spirit's power. That's what I see him saying in verse 23. I know some of you might be confused by this. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. In that verse, what I take Jesus to be saying is that as he's sending them out on the mission he just talked about in verse 21, as the Father sent me, so send I you. It's a mission he's going on with them and he'll accomplish through them. So as they share the good news of the gospel of Christ, of his power and his grace to forgive, he's the one by his power. He's the one by his presence who's sharing that gospel through them. So if people receive the message, they receive forgiveness because they receive Jesus and his work through these men. And I take him to also then be saying that if people reject that message because it's his power, his work going on in their lives, they're actually rejecting him. And so forgiveness is withheld from them if they don't receive it by faith. And so that's a great place for us to end this Easter Sunday morning. Do you receive the message of Jesus? Do you know that your sins are forgiven in Christ? Do you believe that Jesus has already gone where you most fear to go? And are you living with his peace, depending on his power? I don't know what the rest of your day looks like, but I know what I pray the next step looks like. I pray that you will not leave this place today without knowing That heaven is your home. That your sins are forgiven. That Jesus, the real and living Jesus, is walking with you and living in you by his spirit. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today is your day. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to respond to this message by 
coming at the close of this service. We're going to sing a song, and then at the end of that song, I'll be down front with our other pastors and prayer partners. We would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And for those of you who say, I am trusting in Jesus, but I'm struggling because I feel my life being paralyzed in fear. Would you pray today that the Lord would would stir your heart to believe and help your unbelief so that you would step from this place freed from your fear by believing the person and presence and peace and power of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me today? Father, we praise you for your work in us. That by the power of Jesus Christ, having already gone to the cross, paying for our sin, we can live forgiven by you, accepted by you. And God, I pray we would believe we can live indwelt by you through the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, for everyone in this place and those watching online, I pray that our hearts would be certain, that we would be certain that we are truly trusting in Jesus. Even now, I pray for those who've never placed their faith and trust right now that they would call on Jesus in faith, confessing their sin, believing in Christ's work, depending on Jesus and calling on his name for salvation. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are battling a fearful world and whatever it may be in their life, that they would live with peace today, that they would experience resurrection power today by believing the word of our risen Savior, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.